This week's episode of Discovering Trek and Trek Geeks is brought to you exclusively by Fansets. Later on in this episode, we'll have a special discount offer code just for our listeners. Discover a whole new universe of pin collectibles with Fansets online at fansets.com. A mother, a warrior, and a chancellor. As season two is now in our rearview mirror, we plan on gathering here from time to time to discuss the highlights of the season and maybe even look ahead to season three. One thing is for sure, though, this week's episode is special in every way possible, because for the first time ever, we are going to talk to one of the people who stars in Star Trek Discovery. Welcome aboard, everyone. My name is Dan Davidson, and we are Discovering Trek. Welcome one and all to Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Discovery Companion, presented by Fansets. You know, we're still trying to figure out exactly what the season finale means for the Discovery crew, as well as for all those they left behind in those shocking final moments of Such Sweet Sorrow Part 2. But there's one thing I am certain of. If it wasn't for the assistance of the Klingons and the Kelpians, control would have won and all life would have been destroyed. As always, this is the premier podcast for the most in-depth discussion and analysis about Star Trek Discovery, and even after the season wraps up, we're here to talk all things DSC. And for this week, in our first bonus episode, we felt we would put out all the stops and talk with someone who not only loves Trek, but just happens to play a beloved character on Star Trek Discovery. But before we do that, it's time to introduce my wonderful co-host. If he had to decide about professing his appreciation of me or his love for this podcast, I'm fairly certain he'd cut off my head, pitch it into the fire rivers of Gaul, and profess that he is the father of all podcasts. And I can't say that I blame him. He's my special friend, my brother in Trek, and my amazing number one. He is Bill Smith. Bill, kafla, my friend. It's great to have you here on our first bonus episode so soon after the end of season two. Well, you know, it's nice to have little surprises like this. We knew we'd get together from time to time, but who knew it would be for this? And I got to say, I love this father of all podcasts title that I've now uh, been bestowed. Um, I'm going to put that on some business cards because that's going to look fantastic. That should be our hashtag for the week. Trek Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) Father of all podcasts. Well, speaking of father of all podcasts or mother of all Klingons, we got a great, uh, great conversation coming up. We have a special guest. But before we introduce her, how can our listeners get in touch with us for their thoughts on Star Trek Discovery Season 2? Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Well, Dan, on Twitter, you can find us at Discovering Trek. And on The Book of Faces, you can catch up to us at facebook.com slash discoveringtrek. In either place, you can become part of the discussion, leave us comments, questions, suggestions, or perhaps your theories on what's going to happen in Season 3 of Star Trek Discovery. Plus, now, you can also send us a voicemail by going to our website at trekgeeks.com and clicking on the giant blue button on the right-hand side. Please do remember, though, that any comments you might leave us could be used in a future episode of Discovering Trek. Dan. Thank you, Bill. Black alert. Black alert. When we come back, this episode of Discovering Trek may contain spoilers. So if you haven't watched Season 2 of Discovery, stop listening right now. Head on over to CBS All Access or wherever you watch Discovery. Watch all 14 episodes, then head back on over here to Discovering Trek. Failure to do that puts you at risk to find out plot developments and character details for all of Season 2. 
This special bonus episode is brought to you by Fansets, the exclusive sponsor for Discovering Trek and Trek Geeks. Now, you know, Dan and I are huge fans of Fansets because we're customers of theirs. I mean, we talk about their amazing line of pin products and collectibles. We do it because they truly are the best in the industry. When you place an order on Fansets.com, you can be supremely confident that you're going to get the best products, the best prices, and hands down, the best customer service in the industry. So now that season two of Star Trek Discovery is wrapped, our focus now is on the family reunion in the desert. And of course, that is STLV Star Trek Las Vegas 2019. We cannot wait to reunite with our Star Trek family at the convention and check out the new pins that Fansets is going to have to offer, like the Women of Star Trek collector set. Ah, man, I tell you, this set of nine pins is going to be available in Las Vegas, and new pins in that collection are going to be released after the con as well on an ongoing basis. It is always exciting to see what Fansets has coming out next, and we want you to save some quatloos when you place an order. So this week, once you've filled up your cart at Fansets.com, enter the exclusive discount code word Lorel. that's L-R-E-L-L, in all capital letters with no punctuation or spaces. Use that code and you're going to get 15% off your entire order on the Fansets website. Plus, since this is a bonus episode, this code is going to be available to use for a special bonus length of time until Sunday, May 12th, 2019 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. I like the way you said bonus. That was pretty good. Man. <laughs> it, it, it's a huge bonus. <laughs> it's a, that's a lot of time for Laurel's uh, special code word. That's fantastic. Uh, we also want to remind everyone that Fansets is hard at work conjuring up the next pin in the popular Trek Tech line of pins. First, we saw the communicator. And then we got to see the tricorder. And believe me, folks, pin number three in the series is going to be spectacular. Both of the communicator and the tricorder pins are now available at trekgeeks.com slash pins. And we will let you know when pin three is going to drop. And it will be soon. In addition, Fansets has so many things on their radar. And I think the one that I'm most excited about, excited about is the fabric pin that they have recently teased us with. This pin will be in the shape of the Discovery Delta, and inside it will be an actual piece of the fabric of the uniforms worn by the cast while filming in Toronto, Canada. This is a one-of-a-kind pin, folks, and as we have seen in the pics that they've shown, it is a must-have, and I cannot wait for this one. Also in May, be sure to pick up your K-7 Space Station starting on May 1st, and then on May 15th, Dr. Julian Bashir will be available at fansets.com. Fansets. We are Star Trek, and as always, we thank our friends at Fansets for sponsoring Trek Geeks and Discovering Trek. Trainees, to the briefing room. Bill, as we gather in the briefing room to start our discussion, I think it's about time to introduce our very special guest. She is a force to be reckoned with on Star Trek Discovery, who has literally held the fate of the entire Klingon Empire in her hand, and I do mean that literally. My long-range scan after episode 13 was that I hoped she would show up in the finale, and she did in a big, big way. Her character is the mother of all Klingons, the Chancellor of the Klingon Empire, the one and only Laurel of the Honored House of Mokai. She is Mary Chifo, and she joins us here on Discovering Trek, and we could not be happier. Mary, thank you so much for joining us here. We're ecstatic. Wow, what an intro, guys. Oh my gosh, thank you. That was epic. Man, well, I feel very accomplished. <laughs> he does well, nice work. A lot. <laughs> yeah. well, we are we're so thrilled. Uh, we've loved watching uh, the two seasons of Discovery that we've seen so far, and and you have been a huge part of it. We've loved what you've done. So to be able to have you here on the show for our listeners to ask you a couple of questions and and to get your thoughts on stuff is just an incredible honor for us. 
Well, thank you. I'm really thrilled you asked. I'm always, I'm a big geek at heart and I love to analyze and talk about all the crazy stories we're telling. So it's always a thrill to get to chat with people who are similarly passionate about Excellent. the story. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. That's one of the things we love. And actually is kind of one of the first things I was going to bring up as, as we start the discussion. Um, as, oh, we, excellent. <laughs> as, as we've talked about many times here on Discovering Trek and on our other podcast, Trek Geeks, one of the things we love so much about Discovery's cast is their involvement with the fans, whether it's through social media or at conventions conventions, you in particular are very, very engaged with us. And we noticed that right away at your first visit to STLV a couple of years ago. So my question Mm -hmm. is, what's your favorite aspect of what I can expect at times is an overwhelming fan base um, that can be so joyous, but at the same time can be very critical of the smallest detail? Mm, Great question. Love it. Um, Yes, I mean, that was something from the very beginning I set out to to do. I've mentioned uh, before that I, um, yes, I am, a, I am a big geek. I, I grew up a lot in sci-fi and particularly fantasy. And I always hoped and dreamed that the actors and creators behind my favorite stories were as excited about it as I was. So when given this opportunity to actually dive into this incredibly fleshed out world um and and just having the opportunity to do all the research to learn about the the, the culture both the the trekkie culture and then the culture within the, the uh fictional world um i was just thrilled out of my mind and that was you know it, it was infectious and from yeah um from stlv that first year onwards it's just been this incredible ride of, of meeting so many so many beautifully passionate people um involved with with trek um but it is i mean you rightfully say you know it is it is overwhelming but i also relate to that i am someone that dives in head first and you know there's a lot to you know the parallels between me and laurel is someone who is full force (laughs) and uh so i i accept it all i appreciate you know people um, being meticulous. I appreciate people being, uh, critical in, in, as long as it's, you know, um, uh, a productive criticism or, or, or thoughtful criticism, or it's really, I mean, the hope is with any storytelling, um, but I often liken sci-fi and fantasy to our modern mythology is like, we're putting these stories forth in order to elicit conversation. It would be very, very, um, dull if we just put it out there and then no one reacted that would be really disappointing so it's far more thrilling i think for all of us um and certainly for me to to see a genuine reaction and you know we are the first cast to be fully immersed in the social media age while the show is airing which i've i've observed from my perspective and heard from a lot of fans that it's it's a different relationship that you develop with the character when you are also developing a relationship with the actor. Sure. And sure. Uh, c- certainly for me, since while I say there are parallels between me and Laurel, there are obviously some very distinct differences as well, uh, certainly visually. And that was part of why I really wanted to make sure that both on Twitter and Instagram, I got to know the fans as best I could as me and let everyone know that while I can pretend to be this very uh, often stoic and disciplined uh, badass woman, I am also quite soft and squishy on the inside. And 
really do want to do want to interact and, and dance with you at the convention or, you know, hang out at Clark's bar or whatever it is. I, I wanted to make it clear that I could be both, that we all can be both, that we all have the capacity to contain multitudes. Um, so, I mean, I, I could keep going on and on about, you know, my relationship with the Trekkie community, but I've just found it, it just continues to grow. And I really felt that, um, particularly recently, uh, with just, uh, people acknowledging, um, that, you know, after with, with the finale and everything, um, everything culminating, there's been a real kind of moment of reflection for everyone. And the posts I've been getting in the past week alone, um, after episode 14 aired has been deeply moving and humbling in regards to the impact that I've been able to make just in letting people feel seen. You know, we do something on Discovering Trek called long range scans, which are essentially our predictions for what we think is going to happen either like in the next few episodes or or beyond that. And I got to tell you, we're almost always wrong. (laughs) <laughs> and and we're proud of that because it says that you know the, the the writing is is making us work for it as a viewer and i appreciate that early on i said laurel would be the power behind the throne almost like a lady macbeth of sorts and it turns out that mm. she was so much more so what inspiration did mm. you use for bringing laurel to life be it fictional or in the real world mm. well it's 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 really what's so delicious about laurel as a character is I've had so many different sources of information throughout my time of telling her story because she's quite, um, she, she takes a lot of different forms. And I did, I did hear a lot of people certainly interpreting a certain Lady Macbeth early on, certainly with, even when it was just her and Vogue. And then as people were uncertain of what the dynamic and relationship between her and Tyler was, I was, I was definitely, and have always been looking to a lot of, um, uh, classic, classical text, um, a lot of classical characters, also uh, Greek, um, Antigone, yep. uh, Medea. Um, and then this year, uh, as Chancellor, biggest source of inspiration was certainly Queen Elizabeth I, the uh, historical figure, um, and the various ways in which she's been portrayed. Certainly the film, Elizabeth, yeah, the sort of seeing the woman behind before she ascends fully and becomes the Virgin Queen. Certainly, the "You may call me mother" felt like my my moment <laughs> of of coming into uh, into my Virgin Queen uh, status, um, and certainly how we then reflected her aesthetic from that point on when she returns in twelve. Um, but overall, I have felt I feel this with a lot of the characters. I'm lucky enough to be. Um, cast in or given the privilege to explore is there a lot of, of untold stories of women or even with these uh, Greek characters and a lot of Shakespearean characters, their stories are partly told um, uh, just because of the, the perspectives that the stories that they are in are being told from often, you know, a white male perspective. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but <laughs> certainly it's good to get uh, multiple sides of the story. Right. And so I've always felt, whether the writing's there or not, um, I want to live that life as a fully fleshed out uh, female character. I want to imbue her words with a past. And while, you know, certainly with Lorel, a lot of her actions were deliberately misconstrued um, and you know, uh, in the first season, 
Right. And even her actions that are less uh, uh, misconstrued or, or the, the audience is privy to more, um, still a lot of those actions um, would be seen as questionable to a human uh, non-Klingon audience, which is all of us. <laughs> um, but I try and find, uh, you know, the way to, to empathize and to look to so many women who have had to make such great sacrifices uh, and then are left out of the history books. Hatshepsut, actually, I've, I've also, that's another one. Uh, she's a, she was an Egyptian pharaoh. Oh, wow. And she really actually embodied um, quite a male aesthetic in her portraiture and how she conveyed herself. But then mysteriously, like 20 years after she died, most of uh, her statues and any sort of celebration of her was destroyed. And I don't think they ever figured out who did it, but obviously someone who felt <laughs> some sort of <laughs> grudge. <laughs> yeah, um, a little bit. <laughs> but so, yeah, in a lot of ways, while I have very specific examples, um, overall, I hope that I'm channeling just all of these untold stories of women. One of the, just to, to dovetail from Bill's question a little bit, Mary. Uh, of course, um, mm-hmm. we know that 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 you uh, went to Juilliard and did a fantastic job mm-hmm. with all of the Shakespearean work that you did. You received the Elizabeth Smith Voice and Speech Prize while you were there. Mm-hmm. Um, did that? Did did all of that experience with playing all of those different characters in Shakespearean can- canon have a uh, a huge impact in how you were portraying Laurel both at the beginning of the series and throughout up to the finale in season two? Absolutely. Um, in so many different ways. I mean, certainly at, at the very beginning, uh, a lot of just the technical skill of being able to <laughs> break down text that is foreign. I mean, in, in right. this case, I was having to speak an entirely different language with Shakespeare. You are familiar with most of the words, um, but I had a system on how I like to um, break down things rhythmically. And Rhea Nolan, who's our incredible dialect coach, she comes from a theater background, and she's part of her gift is she is very malleable and works with any actor in the way they need to be worked with. But for us, we had this common language. So we get these back translations of the Klingon with word for word. And so I would go through and break it down, object, subject, verb, what's the operative word within the sentence. And we could play with dynamics that we both understood. And I think that that really allowed um, me to deepen my emotional relationship with what I was saying in those early on um, episodes where I was only speaking Klingon far far more than i could have if it was a completely new thing i had to uh, grapple with um and then of course the the physical stamina it's a very uh strong movement uh based program at juilliard and um, i've always been a very physical person did soccer and dance and you know (laughs) just generally like to move um (laughs) and a lot of the vocabulary that i learned in expression from mask class and uh Moni Akim, who's one of our main movement teachers, uh, is very much like all about what is a head tilt symbolize? How does the outside in um, inform what what you're trying to say? Like as opposed to being afraid of of expressing extremely, it's more like if you express extremely, make sure it's filled from the bottom up. And so all of that kind of, <laughs> I mean, beautifully. Um, came together in this one role, which is 
it's mind boggling to me that, you know, my first big thing out of school is like, here's all the ways you can apply your training and technique, which is, you know, not, not what they told me when I was graduating. Certainly, you know, we have these industry classes and in your fourth year and they're all saying, well, you know, you know, in 10, 20 years, you'll be able to apply all, all the skills you learn. But for now, you just got to be you. And I was like, that's not what I signed up for. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, luckily, um, this incredible opportunity came along where it was, it just fit the bill so beautifully. Um, but then, yeah, I think from the stamina point onwards, just my doing Shakespeare allows you to appreciate, I think the, yeah, I, co continuing with this, like the, the extreme, the grandiose, that these very large stories seemingly, you know, sometimes we say melodramatic in a, in a derogatory way, but I think it allowed me to realize that there's real humanity and um, nuance within these larger tales and these larger texts. And that's when it really comes alive. So I think it just, allowed me to see this Klingon plot, which is a very intense, you know, for both seasons. Um, I was able to, to know upon reading it even, but okay, but we'll find the, we'll, we'll find the softness. We'll find the, the moments in between. And it allowed me to just, uh, you know, be excited to dive in as opposed to being completely and utterly terrified. Although wow. there were moments, of course. <laughs> that's, that's, that's an amazing amount of layers for the character. Um, speaking of, mm -hmm. of intensity, um, talk a little bit, Mary, about the difficulty of having to remain silent on plot developments on the show. And, and by that, I mean mm -hmm. during season one, some people saw Laurel as being an evil woman who tortured and raped Ash Tyler, when in fact, as we found out later, that wasn't the case at all. But in between that time mm -hmm. of realization, how did you actually cope with that presumed negativity that some people uh, expressed on social media? Yes, I'm so I'm so grateful for um, to be able to talk about it more now, and and I appreciate you asking the question because it was something I was extremely sensitive to, um, just as as Mary, but also when I dove in to the story, mm -hmm. when I was told where the story was headed. You know, I, 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 I sent many, many an email back and forth uh, between me and the writers um, about why we're telling it, how we were telling it. Um, when they asked me um, if I was, if I wanted to have a body double for the actual sex scene, I said, no, if I want to have as much control over what's being portrayed. Like I knew if I watched it and knew somebody else was like creating whatever it was, you know, I, I still, you know, I don't get to be in the editing room. I don't get to do any of that, but I knew that if I knew at my core why and how I was portraying it, I could at least live with that. Um, but of course, you know, there is a large swath of time in that first season where, yes, I cannot speak to my, to right. my plot. And mm -hmm. the way I coped was quite literally doing a lot of writing, <laughs> a lot of personal <laughs> writing, uh, much of what I've already kind of talked about, about accepting this sort of archetypal character who at this point in time in the story needed to be seen in a certain way. Um, and it's still, it's still tricky. And as I said, you know, I, as an actor, I, I accept challenges and I um, hope that they, that it all comes together 
um, in a way that, that, um, that I'm comfortable with, but I always, you know, it, it, it I can only do so much. Mm-hmm. And right. so when I particularly saw people reacting to the images, um, of the, of the, the sex scene in particular, um, I completely understood why certain people who have had very traumatic experiences did not want to watch it, were confused by it. Um, and I respected that. And I think, you know, we're in this very interesting age of storytelling and certainly in TV and, and film. Um, but we really see it a lot more in TV now with everything from game to game of Thrones to, I mean, it's just, we are in a sensationalist time. Right. And I think it is very important that um, as storytellers, we really take into consideration why we are, are putting images out there. And I really did and feel that that was what, you know, there were conversations being had, had. it wasn't something that was like, Oh, we'll just smack that on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that was my relationship with it. Um, but it was very difficult reading, um, some of those tweets and not being able to even comment, right. you know, in the middle. Yeah. yeah. Um, because I wanted to say certainly to the people who, there were people that were feeling seen, um, by as as Ash Tyler, like through Ash Tyler mm-hmm. and his experience. And what I hope too, all that being said, on this larger sci-fi fantasy being mythology, and while our story, it you know, the reveal is that it is actually it was Voke and that his memories were misconstrued, that there never was Lorel, the timeline does not match up. Like she never, as Lorel, had a sexual relationship with Tyler, mm-hmm. um, and um, that was very important to me to know. Right. Um, and um, I find that what we do then is we explore something that is so not part of our um, contemporary world, our human world. No one has ever been turned from a Klingon to a human. No one has had that experience. And yet Tyler's relationship with his duality, Laurel's relationship with lost love. These are all themes that we, we grapple with. And what I hope is that in this mythological way, like if you look at any Greek um, myth, I mean, it's crazy. All the, 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 the adventures and, and, and crazy things that people do and all sorts of, and, you know, violence and unspeakable things. Um, the hope is that it allows us to process, um, these experiences on a different level and allows us to reflect and as hearkening back to that first question, if we're not eliciting conversation, why are we here? Mm -hmm. And that's why I am really glad that I can speak more to it in more depth. Um, now, now that it's all out there and we have, we have seen the continued journey of these characters. And that was something that certainly, um, heading into season two, I wanted to, I hoped that we would at least somewhat touch on, the repercussions of that, because I mm-hmm. felt that there was still much, much conversation to be had between the two of them. And I come back to the fact that they're the only two humanoids in the galaxy who have had this kind of experience, you know, of <laughs> we were lovers and then you changed me. And then, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> there's just, it's, you know, they have no, they have no history books to look at. They have no reference points. They don't have a Klingon therapist to hash it out with. They are very much on their own. 
in, in dealing with this very, very heightened situation. Um, I'm kind of, the, the gates have opened, like <laughs> the floodgates or whatever right now, but I am just so glad that I can, I can talk about it on a deeper level. And right. it has also really, um, you know, it's, it's made it so clear to me how much I want to be sensitive to that in any storytelling I do. You know, this whole experience with the show has allowed me to um, understand who I am as an artist on a much deeper level and the stories I want to tell, the characters I want to portray, how I want to portray them. So that's been just one of the largest gifts overall is it's, it's allowed me to really think about the type of art I want to put out there. So, you know, one of the most impressive things uh, overall with Discovery is the fact that people who wear significant makeup and prosthetics are still uh, able to be very expressive as actors. And it's particularly in episode mm-hmm. 14. I mean, the last scene with, with Laurel and Tyler, just as Discovery is about to jump, we see a shot of Tyler watching them with Laurel behind him watching Tyler. Mm -hmm. And they both look Mm -hmm. deeply affected. Can you sort of walk us Mm -hmm. through that part of the scene? What exactly is Laurel feeling there? And is she feeling it for Voke or for Tyler? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm loving all of these questions. They're really cutting (laughs) to like the core of all of it. So I appreciate it. It's just so, it is really gratifying to hear um, I can I can hear you diving in and understanding the story and being excited by it. So that's really filling to me. So just saying that. Um, yes, I was really glad that they had that moment because, of course, the battle stuff is so fun in that episode, and it's oh, just yeah. great to go full full fledged Klingon. I mean, like it's yeah. I mean, in the outfit, it was just we were all <laughs> giddy. Um, but I really, yeah, it was really true. We were just thrilled. Um, but to have the last seat be a quiet moment, I thought was such a gift um, because that was so much of the goal um, for these characters from the get-go. While there was a lot of, again, a lot of cling on stuff, a lot of violence, a lot of craziness, a lot of, you know, drama. At the end of the day, we hoped that we could bring these quieter moments to these larger-than-life characters. And um, so, but specifically in what was going on there, I really felt, you know, I, I played a whole, you know, imaginary game with myself about Tyler, how he got me there and all that stuff and committing to it. And, and something that I think has always been true for Laurel as, as we observed in the finale of the first season as well is she's too smart and too sensitive to uh, say no to a, a logical request. Right. Or, you know, she's she's learned too much. And I often reference the fact that when we meet Laurel in the first season, she's had pretty much no interaction with humans. And her first experience of humans is in the first season, um, like with really human, you know, uh, one on one contact, obviously the relationship with Cornwell um, right. and then Tyler, oh, even yeah. though, you know, um, and this is honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, this is very much the answer to your question because I think that's all what is going through her head in that moment. They've been through so much and he did, you know, Tyler came back with her to Kronos, tried to help her out there. He, There is an allyship between them. I was really grateful we had that in 12 as well, a little bit more of that quieter reconciliation. Right. And while, you know, I think they're both still very much committed to their own causes now, um, there's the shared history. And as she says, she does recognize that he, he is in love with, with, with Michael. 
And I think she ultimately respects that and respects that he is. That's not that I love that. That is not who you are. She says that right. to him, you know, right. you are not Vogue. And, um, he's never going to be anything but what he is now. Um, but she's still heartbroken. So that's, that's the end of that glance is yeah. like, yeah. you know, and yet, you know, but they made it and she was able to be a hero, which I am really grateful. They gave her that, um, in this finale that despite all of the heartbreak and all of the hardship, um, she still shows up and is of service, uh, to a larger cause. And I think ultimately that's the beauty of Star Trek is that, I'm actually crying. I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, absolutely. <laughs> no problem at um, all. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the beauty of it is we ultimately sacrifice to the larger whole. Right. And uh, I think that even though Klingons have been, you know, pretty intensely portrayed throughout uh, canon, um, at the end of the day, they do, they do fight for the greater good. Absolutely. Um, and sometimes it's just, you know, a question of who's interpreting as greater good. <laughs> um, I, I'll tell but, you what. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Mary, for me personally, for the finale, with everything going on, the best oblique moment that took place in the finale was the decloaking of that cleave ship because it was the Woo! moment that the Klingons come riding in to save Definitely. the day. And it was fantastic. <laughs> it was it was great. And and those scenes on the bridge were were just fantastic between between the two of you. I did have one question um in regards mm-hmm. to you know, this amazing cast is, just seems so invested. Each person um, has spent the time to dig into the history of Trek, and in particular, the history of the Klingons for both you and Ken Mitchell. So mm-hmm. can you give us a little bit of insight about how you approached that research? Now, I, I, there's a rumor that you became a big fan of Deep Space Nine, which is fantastic because it's my all-time favorite yeah. series, at least until mm-hmm. Discovery started. Um, and Bill loves it as well. So um, how did you go about that research for portraying a Klingon in Discovery? Yes. Um, first of all, I do. I'm so glad that you brought up Ken Mitchell because he is one of my best friends in the world. And this show is the reason that we bonded. Um, and I think he is such an incredible uh, performer and, and what he's done with now three different Klingons yeah. is incredible. <laughs> and um, I'm really glad that he culminated this season playing my son. It only felt right. <laughs> um, only felt right. He's a good looking son. I'm very proud of my boy, but anyway, uh, <laughs> it comes from good genes. Um, Yes, exactly. I did. I will say, and then I'll, I'll fully answer your question, but I, I really found, I know that he took the time to really think about who their child would be. Like he wanted to have an essence of, you know, Laurel's regality and he wanted to also have, you know, the softness of, of Vogue. And I thought he like found, and then make it his own. And I was just really proud of him and how he did that. Anyway. Uh, research-wise, yes, I am Big Deep Space Nine, Niner, uh, <laughs> and nice. that came out of, I did, I, um, uh, when I got the role, I was lucky to be cast early on because I, they needed to literally cast me, um, in the, oh, yeah. in the, uh, the, the cast for yep. my face and my arms and all that stuff. Um, and, uh, well, initially, you know, Laurel was not in, 
not particularly intended to go past the first two episodes and then they continued to kind of flesh out the story and it was just this sort of beautiful ripple effect uh, that was both thrilling and, and uh, nerve-wracking <laughs> for me as the actor. But um, so at the time, I was like, but this is so exciting. I'm getting to be a part of Trek canon. Uh, we are rediscovering the Klingons in a new way. What am I going to do? Again, coming back to my Juilliard training, I'm going to do my research. And I'm going to, I decided I wanted to watch every Trek episode ever. And then I was like, Mary, okay, I think parameters will just help you out right now. Um, I know Sonequa did too. She was, she talked about, and she was cast even later on. And I know that she said she just remembers, like she kept falling asleep. Like she would just have it on. Like, you know, it'd be like two in the morning and she's like, no, one more. Like just trying to cram them all in. And, uh, that's when I, uh, one of the many times I realized that I loved Sonequa more than anything in the world because we have a, have a similar mindset of, of full commitment and passion. Um, but so I did, I limited myself to Klingon centric episodes, which was, um, plenty. Oh yeah. Because there are so many, um, throughout every iteration. Um, and I did decide to do, cause I'd seen, you know, obviously some TOS, um, some next generation. I've seen all of the films, both the original and, and reboot films. So I was not, it was a completely foreign world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I decided to go chronologically in, um, uh, in regards to actual chronology of, of, of the world. So it started with enterprise and kind of moved from there. Um, and I did fall in love with Deep Space Nine so much so that by the last few seasons, I just watched every episode because I needed to know what was happening, like plot wise, with the Dominion War and everything. That's awesome. I was like, I can't. It's like, <laughs> I'm like, I gotta know what is that. So I got fully immersed <laughs> in that. And I was, I, yeah, I said the other day, I, um, I was watching that right around the time we started rehearsals in January of uh, 2017. Is that when we started season? I think that was, yeah, I think it was 2017, but that January we were, I was up in Toronto, um, for the first time. And I remember being in my hotel room and just, you know, looking over my Klingon lines, drilling those, watching Deep Space Nine. And it was just like, so magical and, and wonderful. Um, but those, those, so that was the primary research tool. And then of course I got all the, the books I that has been any book that has been published that I could get my hands on in regards to Klingons. I had one friend give me his encyclopedia. Of course I have the, um, the app, the, uh, you know, the Star Trek, uh, wiki app, which is very helpful. Cause you just plug in an episode, uh, anything and gives you all the information. And then of course, eventually when I was, on the app, then I was like, okay, this is too much. This is too cool. Um, <laughs> but that, yeah, that's been very helpful in, as we continue on and always making sure uh, most of the Klingon references, I would already know if they were in a script, but certain things I'd be like, is that something we're creating in this or is it something that's already canon? So it's just great to like, make sure that you, if you know that you're literally, you know, coining a term or coining, coining a, a myth, or if you are just adding to something that already exists. We certainly have that with Boris and, um, I mean, just a lot of the Klingon lore. Um, so th- those have been, those are my primary terms. And then what's great is, you know, doing the conventions and meeting um, fans and getting their recommendations and, 
um, finding out uh, what what people what uh, people's favorite episodes are outside of the Klingon stuff because obviously I love Trek overall. Um, and uh, yeah, I it, it's been a real gift to have such a welcoming community that really loves to share what they love about the show. So now that you've watched all this Trek, do you have a favorite Klingon outside the Discovery era? Mm-hmm. Um, there are there are many, but the one I always allude to is Grilka in Deep Space Nine. <laughs> yes. Um, I just thought she was so wonderfully portrayed. I thought that her plot was so fun. Uh, just having the comedy, like whoever was like, oh, I know what we should do. Quark should have to marry a Klingon woman. Like it's just, it's just great. Um, and yet also quite a feminist statement in that it points out that she can't succeed her house mm-hmm. uh, because she's a woman. And uh, I thought that it was a great way to explore a theme, um, but still have it be a quite, you know, fun episode. It wasn't, you know, smashing everyone's head in. Um, over that fact, it was just kind of showing, oh, this is how their society is set up. Right. And now we have to figure out a way to make this work. Um, and then ultimately she does get to with help of Quark. So um, I just love that. And then when she comes back as well in the, in, in, in the subsequent episode, very fun with Worf and everything. Um, so she, she sticks out in my mind. Uh, but of course, speaking of Worf and Michael Dorn, who I've been lucky enough to to meet on a few occasions now, who is also a fellow vegan, which I think find very uh, funny for both of us. Uh, um, you know, just the the um, the epicness of of being the most featured character in Star Trek, and mm-hmm. and to be so iconic, and um, to have such heart and humanity and yet you know also adhere to this larger archetype um i will always deeply respect that but every inter uh every interaction i've had with a klingon actor has been nothing but wonderful um there's a real fun camaraderie with all the trek actors but i think certainly there's a great sort of kabla that happens every time <laughs> you meet a, a fellow Klingon at a convention. You're like, yeah, and then, you know, you swap stories. And I know Michael said that to me the first time uh, we met. We were actually like, I think we were headed to Birmingham. Uh, I think, yeah, but we were on the same plane and he had just seen the time lapse of me getting in my prosthetic and he was like, dear Lord woman. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it was this great moment of like, Michael Jordan is actually like overwhelmed with what I have to do to get ready. I'm like, but you did it for like 20 years. So, <laughs> so maybe it was less on your face, but, <laughs> um, but, that's, but, but yeah. That's actually a perfect segue, Mary, for my last question for you, because I know we've had you for quite a while and we really appreciate the time. Makeup. Absolutely. I know a lot of people will say, oh, how long does it take for the makeup and everything like that? But I'm going to kind of turn that a little bit. Um, we know that it takes a long time and you look phenomenal in it. What was it like <laughs> for you the first time that you saw yourself in a mirror or in a monitor in full makeup and full wardrobe? What kind of emotions did mm-hmm. you feel when that happened? Yeah, well, yeah, there's definitely two experiences. The first, the first camera test, uh, I do remember that very vividly. It was that January. It's also 
January in Toronto. So we're all in like parkas. Um, and it's freezing cold. And it was, I got in there. I had a general sense of what we looked like, but really didn't know how it would look on. And you first you have the cowl and then you have the face. And I remember when we first really glued the face in and I was like, Oh, this is slightly modeled after my features, but this does not look like me. <laughs> and, um, and the thing that I recognized right away, harkening back to my mask work and all that was this, there's a, such a serpentine nature, certainly to the, the season one look, mm-hmm. um, obviously very alien as well. Um, uh, but automatically I felt that the head was such a, central force of expression i could tell that this ridge was going to be a huge part of how i conveyed who this character was and there is there's a serpentine obviously but also a certain feline quality and uh but yeah i remember sitting in that prosthetic trailer and seeing that and just starting to you know and then to realize oh that's the level of expression i have in my mouth and my face i see (laughs) that's what we that's what we got um and then putting in the teeth of course that really affects things um and i did you know get to learn a lot from observation in the first two episodes because i was not i was not laden with Mm -hmm. as much text until the fourth episode so i really got to watch everyone else and how they were working with it and figure out how i would you know differentiate my movement and wanted to find uh, the femininity within the masculine aesthetic and all that sort of stuff. Um, but then I do actually, when talking about seeing myself in a monitor, I may have seen a few glimpses um, before this point, but I distinctly remember in episode four with Olatunde directing, who I will, you know, He's sh- awesome. shout my praises of him to the rooftops forever. And he Phenomenal. has been, he directed episode four. He also directed episode um, 13 uh, last year and then this year directed three and then our two-part finale which is like the craziest most amazing feat um, <laughs> but he so he has been there at, at central moments of my Klingon story and particularly with four it was the first moment of really fleshing out who Laurel was and I remember is I think our second day filming of the episode and we were filming when I'm convincing Vogue to go over to the Shenzhou um, and it's that cool sort of in the chamber with the with the map, which of course the map wasn't there, but they had it all lit right. in this beautiful lighting. And we were, you know, supposed to be starving, so our masks were a little more gaunt. So we did get a little bit more expression, and that um, just my eyes were lit really well. And I walked by the monitor, and it was when I it was like one of my close ups where I'm like walking around and like arguing with Vogue, and I saw this other creature it was not me yeah. wow. and i remember grabbing june day and being like that's what it looked like <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> like my god man this is awesome <laughs> and uh i really i like gripped his arm probably a little too hard he's like okay mary um but i think that that really helped because you are you know i we did ultimately ken actually requested that we get mirrors um but on set, like in our waiting area, because you don't get fully strapped in until you're right there. So you mm-hmm. can look at yourself in the trailer, but you're not fully in character. So it is very helpful to at least finally see that last moment when you are playing something so extreme because you're like, oh, right, that's how I want to move. Yeah. 
Right. Um, and so that was really the moment where just, but the, you can look at yourself in the mirror, but when you see how the camera captures it, um, and when it is so beautifully lit, like I, I thought Tunde in that episode and the dilithium processor scene as well, just like there was a certain softness that we were able to, um, emit, uh, for these characters, uh, with the way that it was just so, you know, ethereally and warmly lit. Um, but I, I, you know, it's funny because I hadn't thought of that moment in a while, but you asked me that question. It was such a vivid, distinct moment in my experience. And I think it really did, you know, shape how I continued to move as her. It gave me confidence, I think, to allow myself to find her essence more and more and be brave. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, the, the character is amazing. You are amazing. Mary, we, we cannot thank you enough for not only joining us here today on Discovering Trek, but more importantly, for what you have brought to the Star Trek universe with your portrayal of Lorel. She's a character of strength, a character of honor. You've done an absolutely amazing job in these two seasons of Star Trek Discovery. We hope we get to see this continued journey of the character on Discovery, and we wish you all the best going forward. Thank you so much. Thank you for your wonderful questions. It's been a, a real honor. You honor me. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, Bill, once again, we cannot thank Mary Chifo enough for taking time out of her schedule to talk to us here on Discovering Trek. It really was just a very exciting uh, 40 minutes. Uh, Love the conversation. I'm looking forward to seeing her at STLV, hopefully. Creation, are you listening? You want to get on that, please? Uh, it was just a it was just a great conversation. Oh, it absolutely was. Such a delight to talk to. And I, it was just fascinating to hear the preparation that goes into playing Laurel. I mean, we don't see her every episode, but that doesn't mean the preparation isn't any less exhaustive. And it's just, it, it, it was such a wonderful perspective to have. We can't thank Mary enough for coming on. But Dan, next time on Trek Geeks, we're going to share one of our carpool conversations. This is where we talk about what we'd like to see in a Star Trek theme park. It's a really fun discussion that we hope everyone will enjoy. And next time we gather here on Discovering Trek, we're going to present our Season 2 Wrap-Up Spectacular. This season of Star Trek Discovery had so many amazing moments, and we're going to discuss them all here next time. Until then, remember that you can subscribe to Discovering Trek and Trek Geeks by searching for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or by heading on over to trekgeeks.com and discoveringtrek.com, respectively. Plus, now you can support the Trek Geeks network of podcasts by subscribing to bonus content via Patreon. Get access to our carpool conversations and other exclusive content. See the first of our annual supporters pins from fan sets and check out our exclusive Podfleet t-shirt along with so many other perks. Now, of course, we'd like to take a moment to thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks. We are truly so grateful for their support. They are Adam Sanders, Brandon Everidge, Heather Sohn, John Kikorian, Peter Craig, Rick Tatro, Trey Womack, Shane Murray, Sean Lynn, Tim Robertson, Tim Sirdar, Vikram Bott, Greg Rosier, and the beautiful and gracious Andy Fark. And also, we would like to take a moment to recognize the following amazing producers of Discovering Trek and Trek Geeks. Again, we are so thankful for their support, and they include Ken Tripp, Casey Shafsky, Charlie Mulvey, Chris Trebuzio, Craig Ewing, Eric Extreme, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Lionel Marchan, Matt McGonigal, Mike Bovia, Harry Michelson, Norman Lau, Patrick Escudero, Shauna Holleran, 
and the wonderfully talented Scott Vashon. Now, if you'd like to become a producer of Discovering Trek or even get access to the raw audio for these Discovering Trek episodes, head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks. Well, folks, that's going to be it for us and our special bonus episode with Mary Chifo. Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter to let us know what you thought about the episode and about Discovering Trek as well. As always, we thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedules to listen to us talk about this amazing new chapter in the Star Trek universe. And we look forward to sitting down with you again next time for our Discovery Season 2 wrap-up. Until then, here are some Klingon words of wisdom from the Star Trek novel The Final Reflection by John Ford. A fool and his head are soon parted. And until next time, never stop discovering. Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original Star Trek. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, is a production of Trek Geeks. Executive producer Dan Davidson. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out the Trek Geeks podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and TrekGeeks.com.